Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective. We are joined today by Sheriff John Knowles, and we are going to jump into a conversation with him about some things going on in the state and with law enforcement after some inspiration. We do not have Shannon today. She is away taking care of our elders, so I'm going to do some inspiration. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12. Neville Chamberlain was duped in the months before World War II. As British Prime Minister, he appeased Hitler and acquiesced to his demands, thinking Hitler simply wanted to regain Germany's rightful land. Soon, Chamberlain realized Hitler's word meant nothing. When German tanks rolled into Poland, England had to declare war. Sometimes I wonder whether I'm a spiritual Chamberlain, unaware that I'm at war. Consider Jude 1.9. Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. What? Michael and Satan tussled over Moses' dead body? Now flip to the story of Moses, which simply says the Lord buried him. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. Deuteronomy 34.6. Apparently, that simple statement, the Lord buried him, conceals a lot of angelic activity. I don't know why Satan wants Moses' body, but Satan was apparently at war with the Israelites during their trek in the desert, and they didn't realize it. How would the Israelites have responded if they knew their desert trails were part of a larger war? Be on guard. You're at war. This story by Mike Whitmer. Dearly Father, thank you for this day. I want to thank the sheriff for coming in today and thank your uh, servants that uh, service in, in the government realms. And hopefully they, they will recognize that, that we are at war and it's a spiritual war. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The inspiration, you know, we're at war. We really are at so many different levels, John, uh, Sheriff Knowles. I, I see just this distraction of the wars. I, I heard in a local neighborhood meeting not too long ago, someone said the war on drugs failed. Well, I don't know that it did. Maybe it deterred the place we're at now because really drugs are at war with us and we're just letting it happen. And so I know that you see that on the front lines, your deputies see that on the front lines, but there's this internal war that we're fighting a spiritual war really all over the place. And right now it's waging an Olympia. So jump into the conversation wherever you like on any of those topics. Number one, thank you for that that thought. It was, um, I think it's really on point for what we're dealing with in this great country right now, even in this state and even in our neighborhoods. I think there's a there's a battle going on for the soul of America, and I don't I don't want to be too dramatic about it, but there there always has been and there probably always will be this fight against good and evil, ethical and amoral behavior. I think right now what we as a society are struggling or why we're struggling with it has become so comfortable. I know there's a lot of people uh, in this country right now who 
are not doing well. They're struggling um, through very different things. But but as a general rule, as a society, if you compare where we are now compared to where we were in the early 1900s, um, we, we're extremely comfortable. Even people who are living in the lowest sec, uh, socioeconomic classes are are many times more comfortable than people in that same socioeconomic well, class 100 years ago. I would say we're material, Ma- materially more comfortable. Correct. Psychologically but, different story. Yeah, psychologically <laughs> and spiritually. And actually, uh, just this last week in the newspaper, there was an article about less people now claiming religion. I think it was, you know, in the 30s, it was 5% didn't claim a religion. Now we're at 30% of the nation doesn't claim a religion. And so there isn't those foundational pieces that say this is right or moral, or this is wrong and immoral, because you don't have that foundation. And it seems like that's the the spiritual war we're in is, like you said, what, what are we? What is America? We're right. kind of, we're trying to figure out who we are now because we've lost those foundations too often. Right. And I, and I think there are fewer people who are confident enough and comfortable enough to take that moral stand that you just spoke of, willing to stand up and say, whoa, you're, you're victimizing people, whether it's a policy, whether it's an individual action, whether it's a group of people who are conducting a, a certain group of actions, there's fewer and fewer people who are willing to stand up and say, no, there's a bright line here. You won't do this. Mm-hmm. We as a society, we as a community, we as a neighborhood won't tolerate this behavior. And, and we're starting to see it in actions in Olympia. Oh, We're yeah. starting to see it in city councils. We're seeing it in county commissions where, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, prior to recording some of the legislation that's being proposed right yeah. now in Olympia where, I mean, th- there's a myriad of legislation aimed at lawful gun owners. Oh, um, big time. You know, I, I, at I, least five. I didn't know that you were going to bring that <laughs> one up, but the, the, the one that popped out to me was that gun stores would have to at night – clear their inventory and put them in fireproof safes, even though it's like 1% of firearms that are stolen actually are stolen from FFL dealers. Right. So, I mean, this is obviously going to cost an enormous amount of money. Six years of video footage of their security cameras, which is like, I heard something like two or three terabytes. Oh, at least probably more. I mean, so it's going to cost them tens of thousands of dollars to, to do all this, obviously, yeah. uh, possibly in the millions. Right. All, all the, well, one of our local gun stores, it was going to cost, their quote was $275,000 just in an initial cost. Well, that's enough to put that gun dealer out of business. And, yeah. and you know, the, the idea that we would have to get a permit as a law-abiding citizen to buy a firearm. And to get that permit, I'd have to have a background check through the state, and then I would also have to show that I went to a state certified training course. So, and this is so this crazy... inalienable right that I have that God gave me to protect being yourself. born into this country, yeah. my inalienable right to keep and bear arms. Now I have to have permission and training from the state to exercise it. It's just well, it's these people so are backwards. crazy. And of course, they think the Second Amendment is about hunting. And when they say that, but they look at these laws. So are we going to have our 14-year-olds that are going to go hunting with us now, take all these courses, you know, do a federal background check, do a federal background check, they haven't left the state. We went to Disneyland once. You know, I mean, you think about these kids and these regulations that they're putting on everyday citizens. You think about a farmer's kid who's out there keeping the coyotes out of the chicken coop. 
give me a break. He needs to take a training course for that. Right. I agree with you. And, and when I, I testified in opposition to this House bill uh, two weeks ago, and the example I used, it was the day after Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day. And uh, I, I said, can you imagine an America, a United States of America, where Dr. King, prior to him going out and exercising his First Amendment right to free speech, he had to go get a license from the state he was in or from the federal government before he could demonstrate and use his right to free speech. Well, actually, and they, then prior to that, he'd have, that to get, he'd have to go get training, training, a certified training course that would tell him what he could use and how he could use that First Amendment right. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous if it you is. think about it. We know that the First Amendment is to prevent exactly those kinds of restrictions. That's right. But yet here we are trying to do this with well, the Second Amendment. Kind of what so. we heard coming from like the World Economic Forum and places like that. I know that, I mean, that's not controversial at this point. I think it's national news that these groups meet and they have these discussions. And their number one thing is they want to control information and what people say on the internet. And I, I, you know, I think there should be a limit of what you can do on the internet, like some of the stuff that our children have access to, some of the stuff that adults have access to that are, are criminal acts on video. I don't, I don't, I think we should do something about that, but it seems like they don't want to do something about that. They just want to limit political speech. Oh, I, I agree. And it is 100% about control. And I know when we first started this conversation off, we were talking about, you know, the fighting for the soul of this country, fighting the the battle for, for our ethical and moral soul. And we talked about legislation. And, and I think the Second Amendment stuff touches on that. But you and I earlier were talking more about some of the other legislation, mm-hmm. such as some of the legislation surrounding allowing felons to vote, allowing felons to participate participate in juries and then allowing incarcerated felons. Correct. And then the idea that uh, sitting on sentencing boards and uh, parole boards for sex offenders, allowing somebody who is a convicted uh, sex offender, and I think even maybe currently incarcerated, to sit on those decisions. Well, those two laws put together, if you put those two laws together, uh, a felon that's incarcerated being able to vote and serve on uh, government commissions or juries... You would also then also possibly have the sex offender that's sitting on a parole board, you know, still incarcerated. It these are insane things because we we don't have that moral compass. When you were talking about the spirit of our country, where is the spirit of our country? I look at so many of the laws and so much of the legislation that's either being proposed or passed. They're normally about control and who has the power rather than what's the right thing to do. And I, th- I think you brought up background checks and what drug tests for sheriff's candidates. Yeah, a, a second a second piece of legislation is House Bill 2027 that uh, was proposed by uh, several state legislators, one of them being Tim Ormsby from uh, our, our lovely third legislative district. That's strange because he's a co-sponsor to the one that wants to, to see sex offenders uh, be on the parole boards and, not, and whatnot. Not surprising. If it's anti-law enforcement, anti-public safety, uh, Mr. Ormsby seems to be and wanting to be front and center on all of it. Seems but, to come out of the third legislative district. Well, it, correct. Um, I mean, just piece of it. So, and we got to go back a little bit because now we brought that topic up and I don't want to get too <laughs> sidebarred here. But the third legislative district was intentionally carved out decades ago. I think it was about 35, 40 years ago because the party in control needed to have a legislative district on this side of the mountains. Because currently, all of the government officials at our state level, 
you know, governor on down, all the cabinet level agencies that are elected, they're elected by three or four counties west of the mountains in the northern corner of the state, right? Near Correct. the peninsula. So the rest of the state does not vote for these people. So they needed a, a place where they could say, we have statewide support just because someone in the third district delegation supports all the craziness that they do over there. That's what they can say. And so it was a control mechanism that actually made the third legislative district co-sponsor oftentimes for decades on these bad bills. Yeah. And, and it makes sense um, that it's what, what the outcomes have been. Um, you, you will not find any other um, elected uh, state reps, no other elected senators that are voting for or even sponsoring these types of legislation. It is all coming out of the third. Um, and well, it, in King County, I mean, they're co-sponsoring and sponsoring, but they work oh, together, sure, right? Sure, but but no one else in Spokane, no one else on this side of the Cascades has anything no. to do with that legislation, generally speaking. Generally, yeah. So I, I will say there there's some, some legislation, um, particularly the stuff with the voting. When we start talking about the fight for the soul of this country, I think I was telling you earlier, I've been reading a book called failure the failure of nerve and it's a leadership book um i think the author's last name is friedman and uh, and i'm working my way through the book but he, he talks a lot about the need for us as leaders for us as americans to stand up and do hard things stay and be willing to take hard lines on ethical and moral decisions to take emotion out of our operations don't fall victim to the emotional ups and downs of society, the emotional up and downs of organizations, and just stand strong on your values and be willing to say no. Yeah, and we need to. I mean, there's just, and and a lot of times you take the emotion out, out of it and you just look at the physical outcomes of things. The Climate Commitment Act. What I can tell you is that, you know, as a Class A CDL driver, I know that the cost in Washington for the residents, for the government, for contractors, for people that need food, it's skyrocketed because I think this last week it was $3.25 for a gallon of diesel at State Line, Idaho. You go to Moses Lake, it was four fifty four. All of that translates into cost for the consumer, and it did nothing to clean up the actual environment. We actually have a great environment, which is good. We need to protect it, but we need to protect the consumers and common sense. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back with Sheriff John Knowles. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are only on the air and podcast because you support this program. You, the listeners, we are listener supported. Keep us on the air to keep all these interviews and shows going. Please go to rightspokaneperspective.com. There's a donate button there. Or you can send your donation to Right Spokane Perspective LLC, PO Box 76209907. Thanks and back to the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective. We have Sheriff John Knowles in today, and he brought up earlier in the conversation a book about nerves. And uh, I know there's a lot of things getting on people's nerves right now, but it doesn't seem like we have the nerve to do anything about it. So let's jump into that. Yeah, we, we were talking a little bit earlier ab- about this concept and, and the way it relates to where we are with the criminal justice system and, and this idea that has become very fashionable um, in liberal politics to be very um, offender-focused. 
um, where we've completely forgotten about victims. We've completely forgotten the fact that that people who have committed crimes, people who have been convicted of crimes about, you know, whether it's assaulting someone sexually, assaulting someone, abusing them, stealing from them, well, it doesn't even doing have to whatever. rise to that level. I mean, you and I just but, talked earlier about Walmart is now more expensive for most items than Costco because Costco is a membership organization and they don't have the theft. So we're all paying for the theft at Walmart. So hundred percent. I mean, is theft a victimless crime? It's just a corporation, right? That's Absolutely the, not. We both know it because but that's you, you know, Walmart's get. not going to lose money. They're clearly not losing money, but, but you're right. There are people who want to say, Oh, it was just this. It was just that. But now there's legislation being put through that is giving rights back to these offenders like they've been victimized by the criminal justice system. And, and part of this, this failure of nerve book, it talks about empathy and how the, the United States and our culture has become so regressive. Um, and, and the problem is, is we have really twisted what empathy is and what we do because of the idea of empathy, where we've, we've now become, it, it, what it essentially allows is the people who were put in place to help and to make a difference in someone else's lives, they are paralyzed by empathy because it, it allows them to perform nothing. It allows them to change nothing. If you think about the amount of money we're dumping into our homeless services, our criminal justice system in the, in the name of alternative programming and things like that, there are never any outcomes that we say, you have to meet this target, these specific outcomes for us to give you money. You think, a la Jules Helping Hands, um, you know, the Empire Health Foundation, the tens of millions of dollars they're getting from the state. And yet we're doing it because they're the ones who are out caring for the homeless and the drug addicts, but we never force them to perform anything to get the money. And that's they right. never, ever do. Well, and that's where the failure of nerve uh, comes in because you're really mean if you come in and say, we're going we're gonna to spend this money on you, but yet we're not going to give you the addiction recovery services. Well, there's we're no not going to give you the mental health treatment or anything like that. And then no one's held accountable for, for doing it. Even the individual's not that, held accountable. Even, even if they offer that, they're not held accountable to finish a program or even to start one because they're gonna, they know they can just come back and hold their hand out again and get the same services because they spent their EBT cash on drugs. We just right. know that's the case. Right. And, and so the empathy... It's so we used to have this thing because called we don't grace. want to put anybody in jail. We had this thing called <laughs> grace and forgiveness and grace and forgiveness was offered because you said this person made a mistake. They realize it. They want forgiveness. I'm going to offer them grace and forgiveness. But these people don't want grace and forgiveness. They want this endless empathy, which kind of goes back to the nerve where we'd have no nerve to actually hold anyone accountable for anything to the point where I see that we're funding, and I say it on this show a lot, we actually fund the drug, drug epidemic because of the programs that we offer in our state. That's why our state is so horribly diminished by the, what's going on in our communities because of the drugs and the bad behavior. Because we don't punish criminals either. There, it doesn't have to be drugs. It could just be somebody that graffitis or does other kinds of crimes because we're not really holding people accountable. But at the same time, I don't see that we're holding state government accountable. I, I have met more part-time government workers, which I didn't, I thought it was always FTEs, but I've met more part-time government workers since the pandemic than I've ever met in my life because that's just the new standard for them. So I shouldn't be empathetic towards the government worker that's ripping me off for only working part-time either. So I think the nerve 
of having accountability needs to come back. We need to put that empathy term away and start looking at reality. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think even, even in our homes, we as adults, as well-adjusted adults, have to be willing to look at our kids, look at our coworkers, look at the people we're trying to help, look them straight in the eye and say, and, and acknowledge human nature and say, we're not going to tolerate poor behavior anymore. You just, we can't yeah, we accept should. it. We're not going to make excuses for it anymore. We help. We, we're, we are here to help people. And nobody here says we shouldn't help. But with that help comes some responsibility on the person receiving it to change. And, and right now, I think we're giving all this help with no expectation and no requirement that people change. You know, right. you think about, and I hate to talk about Camp Hope, but I'm just going to use this as an example. We're out there, you My know, listeners su- might supposedly. Not That's, it was Camp Dope, and that well, was kind of how we recognized I, it. So. I agree with you. Not just but, on the show, just to jog people's memory, that was the largest encampment in the state. Lots of drugs and crime in the area. Yeah. So, so I think there were some people who I thought were well-intended during one of the cold snaps, it was really lousy out there last year during, you know, November, December, January. Mm-hmm. And I think even at one point, uh, our esteemed governor showed up and gave away free space heaters, which was the number one thing pawned at all the pawn shops the next day after he left. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we issued cell phones out to them on the state's dime through all this grant funding. And if I remember correctly, too. it was an 80% loss rate, which means they lost or sold or traded for drugs almost 80% of those phones because there's no accountability. And that's just one illustration. And again, I I think you're correct when we start talking about in government, in our homes, you know, in, in schools, is there any accountability for kids who decide they just don't even want to show up? Our attendance rates are ridiculous. So in our schools, I can give you the number 67%, only 67% of Washington students regularly attend class. 67. Mm -hmm. Half the students that attend are not proficient in any of the academics, English, math, any of them, right? So, and and what consequence do they face? Are we holding them back? And I'm, and and again, I don't want to get into the debate of whether holding back's good or bad or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, there's no negative consequence to those folks behaving that way. Well, and it's I don't think it's just the students. I think it's also the education system. And I mean, there was another again just this last week. There's an article in the newspaper. Washington State wants to pass a law. Of course, we got this school levies and bonds that are on the ballot for us here locally. And they want more money from us. But we see this failure rate of the public education system, especially in District 81, Spokane Public Schools. And they want to integrate multilingual classrooms. So you're going to have multiple language classrooms. Wait a minute. We can't even teach English. Let's let's get that one down. If we can teach that and get the students over the 50 percentile, you know, that failing grade that we're, we're in now, maybe do something else. But that's we're throwing so much at our students and we don't have the accountability for the students. We don't have the accountability for the government entity that's operating that system. And, you know, you brought up a word empathy, and that's a, a, a word used a lot. Tolerance used to be a word that was used a lot politically. They kind of put that away because people have kind of become intolerant towards all this stuff. What about the word modeling? What, what happened to that? So we've got, you know, it used to be... Well, well, that would require me to behave myself and be a good role model. That's right. Well, that's hard. But, but it hasn't been in a long time since you've heard that word. Right. Modeling. Well, I mean, because I have a wife who is in the education system, yes, I hear modeling quite frequently. But, but you know, it comes back to just basic leadership principles. You know, if, if I want my staff to behave a certain way, 
they better see their sheriff behaving that certain way. That's right. And and if I and I and I know that if I want to see a certain behavior from my kids, they're they better be seeing it at home with me. But you can't be that bad parent that always just says because I said so and then go to work and do the same thing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it doesn't you know? work that. But that's where we're at now. When we're looking at, I think a legislature. I I know that some drugs are now legal, but obviously the legislature could not pass the test that I have to pass. Okay, no, not with the way that they debate things. I watch them in hearings. These folks are not one hundred percent pure. If they had to go take a urine analysis, right? Right. And and so you have the same thing when we have drug counselors. It used to be okay. Uh, a recovered drug counselor is probably going to be the best counselor for addicts. That was a big thing for a while. The problem is now with legalized marijuana and all these other elements that we have out there that are not really controlled. There, there's still users, and and they're getting funds from the taxpayer to really not solve a problem, a problem we see continually to get worse, which makes life for your deputies right uh, even worse. I, I mean, our our promiscuous approach as a society and particularly as a state towards the use of drugs. And I'm going to lump alcohol in with it too. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think if we, if we eliminated alcohol we can't do it, we've tried it, it didn't work, no. but our society would be far less violent, you know, without that being there. And so every time we legalize a drug, anytime we add something else into the mix, it just makes our public safety worse. It it's makes funny it we less ended up then. back on public safety with the sheriff. I and, know. I know, public <laughs> safety. But we started this conversation actually having to do with law-abiding citizens having firearms to protect themselves and their families. And what you just brought up, it's like, okay, where does most of the crime come from? It's not coming from the law-abiding citizens that own firearms. It's coming from people that are immoral, unethical, have received way too much empathy and are doing damage in our communities, mostly because of drugs and alcohol. Right. And and I, as a law-abiding citizen, should have the ability and the opportunity and no restrictions on my ability and opportunity to defend myself from those people. Um, but I will say that there is an, an overt and not even veiled attempt to restrict those rights. And, you know, I don't want to be the boy who cried wolf too much, but I think this is they, – they keep claiming that it's to keep our children safe, and it's ridiculous. Well, None of this legislation will yeah. keep our kids safe. But you know what? They're but, making us have this conversation. But they are, and the citizens have to know that this is about control of a citizenry and their, their desire to keep us unable to protect ourselves from crime and also from them. So, yeah, of course. You know, an, an unarmed well, and, citizen, an unarmed citizen is a compliant citizen. <laughs> it's as a slave, really. It's scary, you can't but protect right. yourself. And, you have an owner. So, the, but the thing is, is that with this, take away your baseball bats, you can make knives illegal of certain lengths. I mean, there's all these laws. They are paying attention to law-abiding citizens. They're going after our tax dollars in lots of different agencies and places. They're going after uh, businesses' rights to do business. People's ability to build a house, afford a home. They, the politicians always say affordable housing. Well, they're the ones that make it the most expensive year after year. They're crying right now that they can't raise property taxes more than 1% a year. Well, after you do that for 100 years, guess what? That's 100% that you've taken, right? Right. You know? Yeah, so you, I, you've suddenly doubled our property taxes. That's right. And, and so they're focused on those things when what happened to 
zero fatalities. What was the campaign in Washington? Uh, was it, it was either Task Force Zero or Target. I think it was Target, Target Zero. zero. Yeah. So they got rid of that name because the last few years have been the most lethal on Washington highways in the history of the state. And the reason right. why is we're not making people comply with the law. Cell phone use is one of them. But really, we have but multiple we, factors. But we added it's, marijuana. It's, it's marijuana. Well, you got people, they're marijuana, alcohol, using their cell phone, and they're on an antidepressant. Come on, folks. And... and- Fewer police officers out enforcing traffic laws. What uh, period, period is well, part of I it? I mean, state patrol does that because I see them but, on the highways. But remember, but our local police have no uh, officers that are focused on traffic enforcement, right. and I think our highways and our streets are more lethal than our constitutionally protected rights. Correct. So, I, what I will tell you is, is um, there, there's fewer state troopers on the road than there's ever been. Yeah. Um, we have fewer police officers in the state than we've had. In, in decades and decades and decades. And there there is an absolute correlation towards the number of speeding tickets that are written in any given jurisdiction and the reduction of fatal collisions. Because typically, if you're enforcing speeding laws, overall speeds and collisions are reduced. Well, and, 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 and speeding laws, actually, that's where you collect most of your drivers under the influence as well because they're not paying attention to their speedometer. They're not paying attention to the law. They're drunk. They don't realize the speed they're going because they're intoxicated. I know that those basic pullovers are where you catch the drug dealers. You catch the people right. that are, are you know driving under the influence. And we don't have the patrols to do that. And I don't know if I and can. Our, and our not. liberal legislators are trying to do everything they can to take that ability away from us, frankly. Do you have just about uh, enough time to do a 15-minute segment for tomorrow's show? Sure. Okay, folks, we're out of time for today, but we're going to be back again tomorrow with Sheriff John Knowles because he brought up something that I needed to make sure we addressed because we had a similar conversation not that long ago with interim police chief Justin Lundgren. So we're going to talk about policing our safety and what the government's doing about it tomorrow. We'll see you then. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.